0: Welcome to Vertical Playpen, the podcast all about adventure and experiential education. I'm your host, Phil. Before we get to this episode, I do have an announcement. High Five now has a second podcast. Not only do you have the opportunity to listen to Vertical Playpen, the podcast you're actually listening to now, and you know that, but you can also listen to our new podcast called The Edge of Leadership which focuses specifically on our SEL and experiential education programming in the classroom. There are several episodes already there available to listen to, focusing on emotions, connection, trust and trustworthiness, and also problem solving. Now in terms of release schedule, the way that will work is one week on a Tuesday it will be vertical playpen, The following week, it will be Edge of Leadership, so every single week on Tuesday, you will have an episode from High Five. Thank you in advance for rating, reviewing, and sharing with all of your educator friends. Now in this episode, I was very, very fortunate to interview Sherry Bagley, who is the Executive Director of the Association for Experiential Education. Thank you so much, and enjoy. Sherry, give a quick introduction to who you are and what you do at AEE.
1: Yeah, I'm Sherry Bagley. I'm the Executive Director at AEE, the Association for Experiential Education. And I've been in this role almost a year now. So, (laughs) almost 12 months of fun.
0: So uh, before we even get to any more of my questions, what I'm going to do is because even though we have briefly connected before, but we don't really know, we haven't met each other, I don't think in person or had any longer conversations than the short ones we've had in the past. I thought we would do a segment that I'm calling mystery questions. And I may have like a music on the background. I don't know. And how this is going to work is I have some questions that I pre-made, numbers 1 through 15. All I want you to do, Sherry, is give me two of the numbers, and then we will both answer the question. Um, We'll give our own answers, both our answers to the exact same two questions. But 1 through 15, what's your number, first number you want to pick? Seven. Seven. Okay. Oh, actually, this is a very, very good one. So uh, what is one common myth about your work that you would like to debunk
1: that we're very touchy feeling people that it's all about feelings and we force people to tell us how they're feeling about every little thing
0: yes i think i would absolutely agree i think there is so much work at the start of a program to try to get rid of all of that assumption <laughs> you're like we're not going to be holding hands around a fire singing kumbaya we're, like we are going to do some fun stuff i promise uh, I think as well for me, it's and it's partly because of the, the work that we do with challenge courses, we just get lumped in with the other adventure parks really easily. So it's like, oh, when are we going on the zip? Well, we're actually mm-hmm. probably not going to do the zip. <laughs> so in fact, we might have not even get harnesses on. So I think that that's, that's a, a thing to try to debunk sometimes, that we're thrill-seeking place. Actually, I got introduced one time at a school as uh philip brown which i also didn't like because i said my name was phil and they just went oh okay philip so they said hey everyone this is philip brown from high five adventure the adventure guy who focuses on kayaking skydiving and i was like what <laughs> i think it's because that word adventure is in there so has, they had to be like what is an adventure thing so i think like that's sometimes a hard thing to debunk do you do
1: skydiving
0: i have skydived but okay. high five doesn't. <laughs> no. no, yeah, not on no, not on a program. That would be that would be an interesting team development program. All right, everyone, get in t- under the plane. <laughs> what are we doing? Um, and no, and second second number. Uh, ten. Ten. Oh, I like this one too. Actually, I like all the questions because I wrote some of these. What are you not very good at?
1: I'm not very good at fixing um, small engines, automotive repair, lawn mowers. Yeah, I just it's not it's not my thing. Can't do it.
0: No, and I I I will share that commonality. In fact, I'm <laughs> I'm I'm pretty useless at anything that involves some sort of mechanical or fixing or making. <laughs> I, I I I fall short on all those things. I actually um, a high five because we've got a building team. They're they're incredible craftsmen, and they're like one of them had to needed their windows replaced in their apartment, and just went, oh, you know, I'll just do it and they just replace their own windows. And I think, like, I don't even know what the first step, I'm assuming, take the old ones out. But, like, that's about <laughs> as my limitation of what how you would put that together. And I So it's funny, I'm wearing a T-shirt that says play because that's pretty much what I do for a job. That's my skill set is playing, not, strength, yeah. <laughs> not doing all the other stuff. Uh, let us now, we're going to move. With, that was Mystery Questions, everyone. Wonderful segment. Now everyone's a fan fave of Mystery Questions. <laughs> So first question, we're going to sort of follow a, like a past, a present, a future in this, in this interview. So we'll start with the past. Sherry, how did, how did you get involved with experiential education?
1: Yeah, it's um, kind of a long story. (laughs) Um, When I was a kid, I always went to um, summer camp and then was part of uh, a a vacation Bible school day camp that had a really amazing um, active director and I always wanted to be just like him. And so I, I ran the camp and, you know, played all the games, but I never really knew uh, further in-depth about experiential education and kind of the team-building aspects and, and taking a group through. And so my career path was a little bit different. I went to school at Texas A&M in Galveston and um, with a marine biology degree and a third mate's license through the Merchant Marine. And so <laughs> ended up uh, working... Out overseas on ships for a while um, in the Pacific, and then came back and was going to go to school for grad school for marine biology in Florida, but came down here and worked a couple different jobs, environmental consulting and worked at a catering company and all kinds of stuff. And then one day in the paper was an ad that said outdoor educator, and it really pulled in all the things that I love to do, being outside and working with kids. And yeah, I was really, really excited about the potential for that job, and so I went in and I interviewed, and I loved it. It was great, but the uh, the pay was a huge cut, <laughs> and I couldn't take it at the time. And so I I waited an entire year. <laughs> I just thought about the job for a year while I was working for the environmental consulting firm, and I went back after a year and I said, "Hey, look, I think this is really what I want to be doing with my life." And um, I started at Pathfinder Outdoor Education. It really just opened me up to experiential education. There were some great people there, great training. You know, I learned how to tree climb. I learned how to do challenge courses, high ropes, but also just the more in-depth, the group development. And it was amazing to have those aha moments with students and with adults. And yeah, it made me dig deeper into it and learn more and learn about facilitation and I spent 11 years
0: there. Is there one particular like transformative moment for you that, re- that sticks in your brain as like, this reaffirms why I want to stay in this, regardless of the money, but this is why I want to stay in this?
1: Definitely. I was uh, with a group of students from Miami, and they had come um, just a couple hours north um, and on the opposite coast where we were located, and we weren't really in a, a rural area, but more rural than they were used to. And we were on a night hike. One of the kids said, what are all those lights in the sky? And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, all those, all those tiny lights, what are those lights up there? And I was like, those are stars. And he had like always lived in Miami in an urban environment and never ever seen that many stars. And for me, it was, you know, just like, wow, wow. Like the limited amount of experiences that some kids get like we we need to do this more we need to get people out and and learning about just different environments in different areas and um that yeah that one stuck with me for a long time because i really thought he was kidding <laughs> and and he wasn't he was totally serious
0: bringing a kid into the outside world or bringing anyone in the outside world that's unfamiliar for the first time they get to see stuff in this like this beautiful vision of like all of this stuff and we're, we we do not get that feeling anymore. And I think that that's what I get excited about. It's, it's, it's being able to relive those moments that we had when we first experienced them, but through the eyes of somebody else and seeing them excited about it.
1: Yeah. I mean, definitely you can, you can tie a million knots in a high rooks course or in tree climbing and, and it's so mundane and you're like so tired of it, but then you know you get the you get the participants out there and they're tree climbing for the first time and they're like, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, and you're just like, Yeah, this is this is the reason. This is the reason we're here.
0: tell us a little bit more about AEE and your involvement with that and how other people can also find involvement in AEE.
1: Certainly, yeah. Um, well, so AEE is a membership organization and it's a nonprofit, um, and it's been around since 1972. So in 1972, when the um, kind of experiential education was first starting, um, a, a group of people got together and said, hey, we need to talk about these things and we need to share and, we need to, um, you know, have a community where we can focus on on what's working and what's not. And so um, it was really a grassroots movement, and I think from there it really um, advanced. There were some some unfortunate accidents, and that's when AE started the accreditation program. And so the accreditation program is a set of standards that organizations follow and report on in order to make sure they are meeting the highest level of the industry. And so those really helped um, programs do a lot of self-assessment and self-reflection and and see any holes they they had in their in their programming, Um, from like risk management and safety to like human resources issues, all kinds of things. And then we got researchers involved. So as experiential education became more and more popular, people wanted to know what the results were of it, like what was actually qualitative um, and quantitative, like what is this doing for us? And so uh, researchers really got involved in AE to help support the practitioners. And we got universities involved and the the, the AE produces a journal, the Journal of Experiential Education still to this day. There's so much research out there about all different aspects of experiential education from in the classroom to um, expeditionary to on boats, um, everything. So AEs really work to promote and support experiential education um, in ways other than just the (laughs) rah-rah, this is great type of thing. And I think that's why AE has stayed so strong um, because of that, that support and really the community of people that it involves is an amazing group of people. So AE is so much about the people that are involved in it and everyone works so hard. We have a huge volunteer base. And that's actually how I got involved in AE also is because while I was working at Pathfinder Outdoor Education, we're in a credit program. And so one of my jobs was to keep up the accreditation report. And so I would do that every year. And then we had a site visit. And so I got to go through the whole process. I started volunteering in the Southeast region. So A has different regions around North America that you can be part of. And just the people that were in the region were so much fun. And we put on a conference. and We went to North Carolina and we're in a cabin. And I woke up in the morning and there were mini courses out front of the cabin. Like, so in the middle of the night, somebody had come from from Alabama and like set up the, the mini courses because they were doing a workshop about it. And I was just like, this is the most amazing thing. <laughs> and, and that was great. And then from there um, I was asked to be on the board of directors of AE. And so I really got involved in that aspect of it. The board of directors uh, oversees the fiduciary area and the visionary principles of AE. So they look out for um, making sure we're being you know, relevant and making sure we're moving all of our programming toward our mission and our vision. Uh, and that was great. I was the secretary for um, four years with that. And again, got connected with some really amazing people, um, just lifelong friendships that I, I'll, I'll keep forever. Um, and so, That was really great. And then um, after I left the board, AE was searching for an executive director, and I was asked to apply for that. And so I did. And here I am. (laughs) And so it's been great to see AE from all different aspects. I feel like I have a really good understanding of AE because I was a facilitator, I, I was an accredited program. I was on the board. And so that's really given me a really great, great opportunity as executive director to know that my my learning curve was less steep than I think somebody coming in that, that didn't have such familiarity with AE. So, and, and I just have such a passion for it. I just, I love what we do. I, I just, I think it's important and um, I think it's needed. And I think when you're passionate about your job, it makes a big difference. So.
0: You mentioned uh, two things that really struck me. One was the the journals. Um and I would highly recommend anyone listening to this that haven't checked out the uh, the journals to check those out because um I enjoy reading them. I think that it gives legitimacy to the work that we do and passion and excitement for it can only sort of take us so far. So having something to back us and support us from the academic side of things really Certainly helps. Um, so especially if you're a student out there who wants to l- learn more about the industry and read those journal articles, they'll really help you out there. And and then the, then the second thing you mentioned, which is, you know, I go back to all the time because it high five uh, motto is connect empowerly, but you said the connections that you've made through AE and the lifelong friends. And that's also how you ended up volunteering and then ended up uh, getting to the position you're in now. I, I, wholeheartedly agree with that with the need to connect and also the need for volunteerism for this industry if you listen to this and you're passionate about this work and you want to be feel like more involved but also get the benefit of making connections with people that w- will help you professionally and help you move forward professionally then i highly recommend you finding one of your regions and connecting and, and volunteering reaching out to people with ae because i've only found it to be an extension now of my experiential education family is all connected through ae and i think that's been really positive in in connecting through this has been through that so highly recommend it
1: yeah thanks
0: phil is there any other way that People can be involved or connect through AE.
1: Definitely. So uh, AE has a lot of volunteer opportunities. Um, our accreditation council, so folks who review each of the uh, programs applications and their, the, how they're meeting the standards, that's all volunteer. So those are, in general, people who have been in the industry for a while. They they know different aspects of it. Um, we have people. Uh, our accreditation includes adventure programs, but also outdoor behavior healthcare programs, and so we have therapeutic people on that accreditation council, and then the accreditation reviewers. So again, those are all volunteers. It's, a, it's an amazing operation run by Steve Pace, um, who's our accreditation director uh, at AE, and he, um, he so he he runs the accreditation council and helps with that, and then uh, also all the reviewers. So. Each program that applies has a set of folks that go out and take a look at their program and they want to see how it's running and make sure they're meeting those ideals. So, accreditation reviewer is a volunteer opportunity, um, and that's a great way to see other programs. So, if you've only been part of the industry in one program, you can, um, you know, take training to be a reviewer and check that out and then go see other programs and and talk to other people. Um, And it really gets you familiar with the standards also, uh, which is helpful for any program. Um, we also have our social justice task force. That's a, a new kind of committee that we've started in the last couple of years to make sure that we, as an organization, are are living up to our value of social justice. And so we're looking at who we're working with. We're looking at how we're marketing ourselves. We're looking at our documents. We want to make sure we're inclusive and equitable. And you know, that's a obviously there's a big movement right now in the outdoor industry to bring in people of color and make sure everybody feels invited. Uh, And so AE has been working toward that for many, many years. It's always been one of our our values and one of our core things. And so we just want to make sure that we're doing what we say we're doing. So the Social Justice Task Force is um, awesome with that. We have a lot of really wonderful people. Um, That's led by Dr. Bobby Beal. And so we're happy to have all of those people on board. But if you're interested in that, We also have round table calls. We've been having those since COVID. So uh, these calls happen, they're happening once a month now, every Wednesday at two o'clock Eastern. Um, And it's a Zoom call, but we've had people from all over the world join us. And you don't have to be an AE member. And so it's just people who are doing experiential ed. Um, And it's just been amazing to connect with people and see what's happening. Um, They're really highly, uh, (laughs) highly entertaining. Uh, You see faces you know, you see brand new faces. And Brian Croft and Carla Hacker have been leading those just as a volunteer. Um, Carla's on our board and Brian's a Passport member, but they just really wanted to make sure we were connecting, especially during quarantine and helping people out. Um, and our website also has a resource library that people can add to and take a look at. Uh, and we have forums. So if you are an AE member, you can um, you can log in as a member. And then we have forums on on the website that are There's an accredited programs forum. There's a college and um, higher ed forum. So if you have questions and you just want to ask folks who are in the industry are doing what you're doing. um, Hey, you know, how are you cleaning your gear? How are you? How are you handling masks or things like that? You can go to those forums and ask those questions. So we highly encourage people to, to do that.
0: When you came in as the executive director for AE... I know that we had uh, conversations about growing experiential education and the steps that I think that the industry could take, should take to help us grow. How do you see AE and experiential education? And I was going to say, originally my question said over the next few years, but we're day by day right now. So (laughs) I feel like saying like, look at the where do you see us over the next few days? But what do we need to do as experiential educators to try to increase our membership and, and spread the word?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think right now we are in such a moment of change um, with our educational systems. Uh, you know, people are people are doing virtual school. They're wondering what to do next. It's really a moment where we could, <laughs> if experiential education got out there, do some systemic changes and make, you know, being outdoors part of everybody's school day. That's like a huge picture thing, um, which would be awesome. But I do think that now is that moment that we can, show how important we are, that connection right now. Um, people are, people are missing that and our programs right now are suffering because they haven't had, um, participants they they might've been closed down for the summer they might not have had summer camp. So I think really right now is a time where AE especially, but, um, you know, all the folks in experiential education can say, Hey, we're here. This is, this is what we offer. And this is, this is what we can do for you all. And we it, it's. I know a lot of people have been talking about you know virtual isn't the same and um, you know it's different. It is, but you're still going through that group process. And so if we can take a group through that process where they they connect deeper um, virtually, and and show them that that can be done, it really opens up so much for us because we can. We're finding that going virtual has made things more accessible for folks. So in our roundtable calls, we've had people from Colombia, from Israel, from Greece, from Japan. Um, We've had so many people from around the world reaching out and we're able to share. And that's been amazing. And going virtually, there's obviously the issues with connectivity and Wi-Fi devices. But I, I think we have that capability of reaching so many more people right now. Um, than we have in the past. There's not, there's not the cost of transportation for, uh, you know, a busload of kids to get to a program. You could do a virtual program and you could walk a teacher through how to do a night hike, things like that. Or you could be on a phone and have them walking through. I've heard of um, park rangers who are are recording a hike and like they see stuff, Um, you know, they're pointing out a mushroom or they're pointing out a, a certain plant and then people can go on that hike So we're finding ways because as experiential educators, we always adapt and we always, we're really good. This is what we're so good at. We're so good at being flexible and we're so good at changing. We're so good at assessing our group and making sure they're getting what they need. And so now is the time that we can really, really show people how to do that. And. I know it's so, you know, schools don't know what they're doing. So many colleges have stopped their um, their orientation programs that used a lot of our our programs. Um, So it's it's a it's a it's a moment, definitely. um, And hopefully we as experiential educators can take advantage of this
0: moment. A high five we've had to adapt we've had to pivot we've had to change some of the stuff we're we're trying to do uh stuff online we are we're recording a lot of new stuff for uh for for people in schools and educators but what is i think is the positive side is i think that it, this is a almost a, a semi wake-up call for our industry to realize like all of the power we've talked about before we actually do have that power we we are Right now, I think more important than traditional education, because we're the we are able to connect people. We're we're focusing on social emotional learning. We're focusing on those components that are really uh, that that schools are really desperately needing as they try to think about how they get back together. And I think that we've relied very uh, possibly lazily, but it, it, it would make sense that we were doing so on. We were constantly, we were getting people come to us. We were still getting, we didn't have to really work at it. We didn't really have to shout out like, this is really good, you know? And so I think that because we haven't had the amount of work, I've seen a lot of great innovation from a lot of great people in our industry, putting stuff out there that has, um, I think is only going to enhance our industry because I think that it's opened the doors to our stuff in a bigger way you know just speaking to this podcast and as, as an example we've been doing this for a year but i i get messages weekly from people who had never heard of our industry and want to know more and it's like wow okay we didn't even think to do this you know we were doing it before but it was mainly just for our internal clients and then it's oh okay there's a there's people who want to hear about this stuff, so I think that more that we we outwardly speak about it, uh, the better it is. As you were reflecting on like the recording, the P- the park ranger's recording, I remember that when I did outdoor ed, I joked to friends that wouldn't it be fun if because in- we do the same trail hikes? It's like oh, I'm doing this hike and I've been on this hike like a hundred times in the last couple of weeks, but I'm gonna walk and I'm pointing to the same trees and oh look at this, this is- shows this, blah blah blah. That uh, would it be fun if I just recorded it and they give them all headsets like they have in those museum tours, and then I just like walk and then I just point and they I don't have to speak anymore they just listen, um, but I think like that was a, a part of, partly a joke but I think that there is some stuff that's helpful with with thinking about how do we actually get the information in a slightly different way, like we've used we've started using. Flipgrid which is uh, um, a um a software that uh, allows us to record intros to content and have people send in videos so like I can teach a knot instead of having to be right with you I could show you how and then once you've done it show me a video of you tying it like then I I sort of know they're getting there I think the need to see everyone in person all of the time we're able to reassess like what is the actual stuff that we can do in virtual and what's the stuff that we can do in person and how can we meld those two together. We've been doing the workshop gathering again at high five, which has been really popular. But it does blur some bring some of those things together. It's not everything about being in person, it's not everything about being virtual, but it's realizing like we can add all this stuff. So that that for me excites me because I do agree. I think that we're a we're a very adaptable organization. And I think that we'll strive to do that because what we have is something that's really awesome. We just need a different way that people get that awesome thing. It's not like we were really, we had a not so great thing and we were working really hard to show that. We've already got a really cool thing, you know, (laughs) experiential education is already cool. It doesn't matter how it gets there, but I think that we have to figure out a, a way to get it to people, which I'm kind of excited about
1: we do these initiatives and and this is group development and this is how we go along. And now all of a sudden it's like, everything's stirred up and people have to try new things and people who have been facilitating for 20, 30 years are like, Oh, I I have to, I have to work hard at this now, which is great. Like it's really forcing people out of their comfort zone, which is what we, you know, we like to do. And so I think what's going to come out of this is going to be pretty amazing. And I'd be very remiss if I didn't talk about um, our conference, which is coming up, and this is the 48th annual conference um, of, for AE. So uh, we've been doing this for a long time, and this is our first virtual conference. And so there's obviously trepidation around what that's going to look like and how that's going to feel. But I think um, some of the great things about this is, is it's going to be accessible for people around the world. So AE is an international organization. But that's always been hard because we've been very North American centric. And um, this is really leading to uh, folks being able to come in from different areas. We're recording all our sessions so people can watch them on their time zone. Um, we made the pricing um, accessible. There's It's a sliding scale pricing. So you choose what you want to pay um, out of the three different tiers and you get the same access as everybody. So we're very um, aware that people are. You know, in different job situations right now, students are suffering. There's, you know, people in um, other other areas of the world that, you know, the U.S. dollar is, is different. And so we want to make sure that we're aware of all those things. So we're really excited about the conference and how um, how it can bring in so many more people in experiential education um, and help catalyze kind of this movement that you and I have been talking about, Phil. Um, It's a great place for sharing information. We have so many um, people. We have over 65 workshops happening. So whatever you want to learn about (laughs) really around experiential education is happening there. So we're really excited about um, the potential for that. And um, just the connections. So we have we're going to have definitely some social opportunities. Uh, Michelle is doing a virtual scavenger hunt for us, so to get people to get people together. And Amy Clymer, I think she's been on here too, has has offered to do a, a workshop for our presenters to make sure they're. On top of their game virtually. Yeah, we have some really awesome, amazing things happening. Again, this community is so is so great, and they really rise to the occasion. So even though it's going to look different and feel different, we still have that same really awesome content that we've always had. The people the people in this organization really um, work hard to make sure that that they are sharing their knowledge, that they are they are giving back to the communities that they serve. That yeah, so it's it's super exciting. We're, we're looking forward to it.
0: Something else I noticed as well on the the website that was uh, was intriguing to me that there's an Asia Pacific conference in Hong Kong for 2022. Is that is that a thing? Yeah, oh.
1: it is a thing. It is a thing. So one of our One of our wonderful board members, Trevor Wong, has offered to um, host at his school, and so his school agreed, and he was. We, we were full on into uh, planning and um, getting presenters and keynotes and all that stuff for February of this, this coming February for 2021. Because of, of COVID and travel restrictions and things like that, we, we decided to push it back to 2022. And so that's still um on the books are happening and we're hoping it will. We have a, a large, you know, experiential education has a large presence in that area. Um lots of programs in in Singapore and Hong Kong and uh, in mainland China, um, Thailand, Australia. So we're hoping to draw people from that area to that conference and really um really highlight what AE can can help with if if it's needed. So we're we're excited about that one. Yeah.
0: To wrap up, Sherry, how might people be able to contact you and find more information about AEE?
1: Certainly. Um, And you're welcome to contact me anytime. My email is Sherry at AEE.org. And that's our website, too, www.AEE.org. Lots of resources there. Um, and I'm happy to talk with you. Um, yeah, I just had a lovely conversation with somebody who came on our roundtable calls, and she's not in experiential education, but she's interested in being an adventure therapist. And we had a great conversation because that's what we do. And I hooked her up with other, you know, people who are in the industry and could help her more with like how to get certified and things like that. So we are happy to connect people. Anna Miano, who is our membership and marketing manager, um, also is a great connection. She helps with membership. Um, she will help you do anything. Basically. (laughs) She's, she's amazing and does all our social media. So we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on what else? LinkedIn. We are really working toward making those connections. And again, the the community and the people are, are really the amazing thing about AE. So if we can help people get involved in this industry and figure out what they need, there's, there's courses. We have a calendar on our website that, that, um, Different programs have their courses online. Um, all of our regional calls are on there. So you could you know, hop on a regional call if that's the area you're in. People are always happy to have new people come on and, and talk to them. So there's a lot of ways to connect. But yeah.
0: Uh, thank you so much, Sherry. I, I've appreciated uh you coming on and, and talking about AE and and just reaffirming for me and, and probably people listening of the benefits of of the organization and and that it is a resource for people that I think that is underutilized by a lot of people at times. Like they don't realize that it's there and it has the potential for assisting them in, in the ways that it does, specifically around connections. So thank you so much for all the work you continue to do. We have AE as the Executive Director.
1: Thanks, Phil. Really appreciated
0: talking to you. It was, it
1: was nice to get to know you a little more. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for listening to Vertical cap.
0: And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it?
1: Thanks for giving us a good pasta,
0: <laughs> As a reminder, please, if you could... Uh, continue to share the podcast with any educators that you think would find this beneficial, as well as letting me know what information you'd like me to share about and who potentially you'd like me to interview at podcast at high5adventure.org. Thank you so much. Stay safe and stay connected.